Well, it is good to be back on a Sunday morning in the pulpit. My goodness, it's been... almost put my hand up as a visitor this morning. <laughs> I mean, we've been here for the last two Wednesday nights, but Sunday morning is a special time to come together. And uh, We got away and got to go to actually three services down there. The Hagans were not far from where we were the first week, and um, so we visited them at a church we've been to before. It's a Raymond church like this, and... Um, got to talk to them and say hello to them and sent their love and um, and then we were with uh, in a, another church last week uh, not last week we were here last week um, and uh, it was good it was just good to see different ways things are done and, and when I get away um, I used to feel guilty about going away especially for that length of time and and but what happens is I get to see things more clearly you get away from the you know, from from the trees, and you get to see the forest. You get to get a, you get a different perspective, and allows God to highlight things to you and show you things that you just don't normally see. And and that is important for where we're going, because that's part of my responsibility is to see where it is God's taking us. So uh, again, I, as I said last Sunday, I appreciate all those that stood in and helped and, and uh, filled this pulpit. And I know they did a great job. Let's pray, Father. We thank you this morning for the grace that you've lavished upon us. Your word says that we're accepted in the beloved. And so we can come this morning not just to praise you and to worship you, but we can come with a confidence that we're coming in the presence of a Father who loves us. And because you love us, you will speak into our lives. For you are a God who speaks And you are a God who will speak into our lives. And we don't have to be afraid because you will not speak words of condemnation. There are times you'll speak words of correction because you love us. But you always do that to build us up and to challenge us to come to new heights in Christ. And so, Father, I pray right now that as we open our hearts and open your word, that your spirit will speak into our lives and impart life that you will, cha- you will change our thinking, Father, by impressing into our hearts and into our minds your way of looking at life and at the things of life. And so we turn to your word to do that, and we trust in your spirit, working in us and through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. We've spent quite a bit of time at the end of last year and the very beginning of this year looking at the upside-down kingdom. We saw this basic principle that God's kingdom is established on principles, and they are part of God's character. They're the way God operates. And when God created things in the beginning and then created that special place, the garden, and placed that man and then that woman in that garden, that garden operated by those principles. And everything in that garden worked to their benefit. It worked to help them. They had a job, a responsibility to do. You understand in heaven you're going to have work to do? Well, you're excited about that, I can tell. (laughs) Forget these ideas that we just sit and float on clouds with harps. There's work to do. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back and establishes His kingdom here, you're going to have responsibilities. Well, between then and when we get to heaven, you're being trained. Some of us will be in, you know, you know, whatever one-on-one, you know. God's going to train you. He's a father. He doesn't stop with you. This is not the end, you know. This is, this is kindergarten. This is where we learn not to hit each other, to sit in our seats with our hands. You know, this is where we learn basically how to get along with one another uh, because this is kindergarten. This is the, we're here on an assignment. And so, so the kingdom of God operates on principles. And in that first garden in that first creation, it all cooperated with them, those principles. But when Satan came in to pervert, to change it, to destroy it, he couldn't, he he could neither create it nor could he destroy it. He could just pervert it. And what he did is he lied to them, they received the lie, and as a result, he took the principles of God and convinced them that the opposite was true. And that's what he's done to the world. So you and I grew up in a system of thinking. We grew up in attitude, a whole way of looking at life in the world based on perverted principles. 
And so what we're learning is to go back and learn at the principles that the kingdom of God operates under because we need to learn to think differently. That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. We're learning how to renew our mind, to think in accordance with God's principles. But it's a, it's a process, it's a work, because it, the other way of looking at it is so ingrained in us. We did that, we went through that study because it's important to go through, but also to lay a foundation for what we're going to begin to look at today. We touched on it at the end of our last session on this, to look at the way the kingdom of God operates. There's a foundation or fundamental principle by which God operates. And we'll see that here in Matthew chapter 7. And then we're going to see it in some other scriptures. And this is really kind of just an introduction to it. Now, as we ended last time, we we saw that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus talks about basically how to receive. He said, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock on the door. He's saying, look, whatever you, you ask me, I'll give it to you. God's not holding back. God's not the way I was taught to believe in Him, which is, you know, God's up there and He's stingy. He'll give you what He has to give you to get by, but He's just, you know, He's holding back because He needs to... That's because we look at God through ourselves, really and through other people that have been around us. But the Word of God tells us God's just the opposite. Romans 8.32, one of my favorite scriptures, said, If He gave His only begotten Son and didn't withhold Him from us, how will He not also together with Him freely give everything? In other words, God's emptied His pockets when He gave Jesus. So He's holding nothing back from us. And there are many other scriptures. We, a year or so ago, we went through some scriptures talking about how generous God is. But that, God's not the issue. The problem is we've been trying to relate to God and to receive from God operating under the world's mindset. Remember, that's what we've talked about. We've got the principles of the kingdom of God over there. We've got the, king, the perverted principles that we've been operating over here. So we see these scriptures that says, God loves me, God wants to provide for me, and we're trying to receive from God operating with this mindset over here, the mindset of the world, and we find that it so often doesn't work. We're frustrated. And was talking to somebody this week that just frustrates them. You know, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but it's not, it's not, it's not working. Well, this doesn't describe an it. This tells us about a he who says, if you come and ask me, I'll give it to you. So faith is not an it that we work. It's believing in God in a relationship with Him and having a confidence in Him that if I ask Him something, I know Him well enough to know what He's going to do. That's what Jesus told them at the gate, at the, in John chapter 11. He says, standing at the, at the doorway of Lazarus' tomb, who'd been dead and buried four days, and He's going to raise Him from the dead. And He said, Father, I know I'm going to talk, say this out loud to you because I want them to know that you did it. But I know you always do what I ask you to do. Now, how did he know that? Because he'd read a lot of books? No, he had a relationship. And he knew the one he had a relationship in. But in order to know this God, you've got to also know how he operates and what his principles are. And so you go down through these verses in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, and it talks about asking, receive, seeking, you'll find, knock on the door, we open you. Then he uses an example. He said, if you ask your, your father for a loaf of bread, is he going to give you a rock? If you ask him for a fish, is he going to give you a serpent? In other words, he's not going to trick you. If your parents, if your fathers, who being evil, in other words, compared to God, they're evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts or want to give good gifts to those who ask Him? So it tells Him we've got to just ask and we'll receive. The problem is often on the receiving end. And then there's this verse that we left off at, which is what we're going to begin to, in this series, talk about. And this is why. There's a connection here. Verse 12. Therefore, Wednesday night, Renewing the Mind, we spent an hour on the word therefore. The word therefore tells you that what he's about to say is based on what he just said. So there's a connection for what he's about to say about how to receive from our Heavenly Father. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you or for you, do also to or for 
them. For this is the law and the prophets. Often called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But it is a principle by which the kingdom of God operates. And we're going to see as we study it, it's called sowing and reaping. And God's kingdom operates based on that. And what we're going to look at this morning is some facets of it before we get into the details of it. But one of the basic things is to understand it's not just money. It is a way of life. And it is a, therefore it must become a way of thinking. Not something we do, but it's the way we live and conduct our lives. It's a mindset. It's an attitude of the mind and an attitude of the heart. Remember these principles of God are how He operates. It's not something He thinks of. Let's say, I need to do this and this and this. It is what He is like. It's what His nature is like. And so that's what we're going to begin to look at. But notice He says, whatever you want men to do to you or for you, do also them. One of the principles we looked at that was perverted is the world basically teaches us if you know do unto others before they do it unto you. <laughs> or whatever they've done to you, you're entitled to do back to them. But notice the timing here. He doesn't say what others have done what others have done for, to you, do back to them. He says, What is it you want? Isn't that what he just said in chapter, verse 7? Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. In other words, what is it you want? Ask him. So he's talking here in these scriptures about what it is you want, what you need. Now, I'm assuming you're not asking for something that's ungodly, that you're not looking at something that God will, you know, that that, that violates His laws and things like that. We're assuming that we're all on the same page here. We're talking about good things, things that are good for you. And so, so, so He's talking about how coming and asking Him, and then He says, therefore, connected together with this, whatever you want men to do to you, you first of all do it to them. See, the world's thinking is the other way around. Whatever somebody does to you, that's, that's how you decide what you're going to do, how you're going to respond to them. So when someone says, Ron, I love you, man. You're just light up say, yeah, I love you too. I'm responding by what you've done for me. I do back for you. Somebody cuts in front of you in line, you immediately think of ways, this is the way the world thinks, of how am I going to get back at them for what they did to me. Notice the priority. In the world system, we react or respond to what people have done to us and that's how we decide what we're going to do back to them. And we looked at it earlier when we looked at another principle because Jesus said, what makes then you different from the Gentiles, the unbelievers? Because if if you just love people that love you, in other words, if you just give back love to people that have already given love into you, what makes you different from the world? Why? Because that's what the world does. They base what they're going to do on what others have done for them. You understand that's allowing the devil to control your life. Some of you don't get that yet. Because if what I do and how I treat others is based on what they do for me, they're determining how I act. Years ago, I was dealing in a situation. I was a pastor of a small church back then. And there was just, there was, all I could describe it as, you know, you ever have fires in your life? This issue blows up and starts burning. You've got to go take care of that one. And this issue over here and running around, you know, taking care of this issue and taking care of this issue and taking care of this issue and taking care of And I got so busy taking care of issues, I, I didn't have time to pray. And all of a sudden, God arrested me, just talked to me. He says, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I got to take care of this. I mean, I got this problem over here. I got this problem over there. He says, well, who started those fires? Oh, I said, well, the devil did. He said, then who's leading your life? <laughs> <laughs> 
See, when you react to everything, your life is being governed by whatever triggered the reaction, whatever was the occasion for the reaction. I said, well, what am I to do? He said, well, what did I do? You know, Jesus didn't just take care of every need. That's shocking some of you, wasn't it? Remember the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda? It was an area, a portico, it was a porch, a, a, a plaza, where people came that were sick. And the belief was when the waters would move, it was an angel that troubled the waters, that touched the waters, and the first person in could get healed. What a frustrating thing to be a lame person at the back of the line, and the only way you're going to get healed is if you get there before everybody else, and the whole reason you're there is you can't get there. That kind of describes religion. But anyway, that's another message. And Jesus comes, and it says, He went to a man in the middle of the crowd who was lying on a pallet because he couldn't walk. And he said to him, what is it you want? And the man basically says, you know, what do you mean, what do I want? (laughs) I want to walk. And he says, then take up your pallet, take up your bed and walk. Let me ask you a question. What about all the rest of the people there? What about all the other needs that were there? That means he had to step over people, walk around people, that were sick and were lame to get to one man. Why did he do that? Because Jesus wasn't moved by need. He wasn't directed by needs. He was moved in here by them, but he wasn't directed by them. He was directed by the leading of his Father through the Holy Spirit. And when we react to situations that are going on around us from people, We're doing the same thing. We're reacting. We're letting someone else or something else control what we're like when we're a child of God. We're filled with the Spirit of God. We have His Word in us. We're not limited to or subject subject to or limited by the circumstances that are around us. But the problem is, and here's what we do, we think like the world. We think the way we were trained. So Jesus is saying here that whatever you want, which is what he's been talking about, you first of all do for someone else. Whatever you want in your life, you initiate the process by first of all doing it for someone else. We say, well, wait a minute, I need it. But in the kingdom of God, see, in the kingdom of the world, what happens is you get, you, you're responsible for meeting your own needs. It gets the, ult, the ultimate gets to the point if, if, if my needs aren't getting met, I go take them from somebody. That's called stealing or theft, and it's illegal. It is in the kingdom of God, too. But the motive is, no, I'm not getting what I need, so I'm going to go take it. I'm going to act first. But in the kingdom of God, it's based on trusting Him. And it's based on love. So in order to to do what you need for somebody else first requires several things. First of all, it requires you to trust Him that when you give it, He's going to bring it back to you. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Turn with me to um, Mark chapter 4. Now understand this. When God starts to confront our thinking with His ways, it can create an effect in you. It can can start by creating confusion. Understand this, God's not the author of confusion, but He does reveal it. I hope you understand that not everything you think is right. That may be a shock to some of you, but you're not right about everything. I'm going to really shock you now. I'm not right about everything. Because no one's right about everything except one. That's why we're still learning. 
I hope you're still learning. So God will confront our thinking where it's wrong because your thinking will manifest in your life in how you act to God and how we act with one another. That's why what we're doing on Sunday fits together with what we're doing on Wednesday night because on Wednesday night we're learning how to renew your mind. Because renewing your mind is simply learning to think the way God thinks. Because God does think you know. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And then he tells us the difference. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But he doesn't say we can't think his thoughts. He just tells us where we start. So Wednesday night teaching and Sunday morning teaching are fitting together because Sunday morning is what we need to change our thinking about. And there are many other things. Wednesday night is learning the practical skills of how to do that. Because if you don't have a plan of attack to change how you think, you won't ultimately change how you think. You'll get inspired to do things differently, but you won't change. It's like a diet. You get inspired to lose weight, but the only way you lose weight is by doing the diet. The only way we change is by renewing how we think. That's what Romans 12.2 says. And so on the process of going through this changing, you may feel uncomfortable at times because you're learning to look at your life through it, through, in different terms. And that can be unsettling at times. I'm just preparing you, if you're serious about what we're going to learn, that it may be a little unsettling at times. But just stay with the process. Just stay with it because it is God's Word. It is the truth. It will confront some area of your life. I guarantee it. It's already confronting me. I want to go on to something else so fast right now (laughs) because I know down the road where I'm headed it's going to confront some attitudes I have I don't want to look at. But I've got to if I want to grow up and and mature and change. And He'll help us through it. He'll kiss your (laughs) boo-boos. He'll sit you on your knee and rock you when you know it's scary. But don't quit. So there'll be times you may feel confused. There'll be times you may get angry. You may be angry at me. That's okay. I'll be angry at me. But stick with it. Because if you'll come out the other end of this process, it will change your life. It will set you free from the bondages that you're in because it is the kingdom of God and the way it operates. Did you find that, Mark 4? All right. Now, he's just finished in here the parable of the sower. And in, in uh, Matthew's account, which is in Matthew 13, he says at the end of that, that if you can understand this parable, you can understand all the rest. But if you don't get this one, you're going to miss the rest of it. So the parable of sowing and reaping of the sower is so critical. And in that case, God's the sower. And he sows the seed. But notice this. Now he's going to go through some other short parables. We'll start in verse 26. And there's really just one point I want you to see in here. And he said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter or sow seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how. I don't know what you're like, but I, I, I know what I'm like. I like to understand how things work. I've always had a curiosity. I've, uh, <laughs> I used to love to take things apart to figure out how it worked. The problem is I was much better at taking them apart <laughs> than I was at putting them back together again. And I had a lot of confidence that I could figure it out. And I don't dare go into some stories because I don't want to remind my wife of some of these colossal failures I had early in our marriage. I can just tell you that some of them involved plumbing. (laughs) And it did not go well. (laughs) Because I would venture into any... I get those time-like books on how to do this. And I'd read it just enough to be dangerous. (laughs) 
Oh, I can think of one story. I just will not, I'm not going to tell you this one. <laughs> and and I, I could be dangerous with it. I rewired our basement. I didn't kill myself. But my point is this. I had a natural tendency, my part of my nature, is to figure out how things work so I can fix it or do stuff. I just want to know how it works. The problem is I brought that over to the kingdom of God and my mindset is I'll do it if I can understand it. I want to know how it works. I want to understand it before I'll do it. Now, we don't have time to go there this morning, but God has really had to work with me on that and take me to 1 Corinthians 1 where he says that the Greeks had to understand and the Jews had to see signs, but you got saved because you believed. There are many people out there that have heard the gospel, but they won't receive Christ because they don't understand it because it doesn't make sense. And the requirement to receive Christ is not that you understand. The understanding will come later. Because then he goes on in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and says, but there is a wisdom that comes from God. It comes by revelation of His Spirit, but until you've received Christ by faith, His Spirit's not in you to give the revelation. So it is an act of faith to receive Christ, not an act of understanding. And so here we see that the man rose, the parable is the man rose, and he scattered seed on the ground. And he would sleep at night and rise by day, and the seed would sprout and grow, and he didn't know how it happened. Now, there's several things we need to see out of this. First of all, it begins by saying, this is the kingdom of God is like a man who does this. We'll see in the next parable, which is right after it. In verse 30, And to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? And he goes on and talks about sowing a mustard seed. So this tells us, that the kingdom of God, the way, that's the title of this message, the way of the kingdom is sowing and reaping. The way of the kingdom is sowing and reaping. And there are a number of other parables we could refer to. So the, this, the kingdom of God is like this, and it's sowing a seed. And so go back to verse 26 and 27. He should scatter or sow seed in the ground and he should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed would sprout and grow and he himself would not know how. I've mentioned this before in our other series. The world, everything in life, or most things in life, operate by a process of exchange. Your body right now is exchanging things. It's taking in air that has oxygen in it because your body needs, the cells of your body need that oxygen to live and to grow. Your body, those cells produce off carbon dioxide which then you breathe out. So your lungs are in the process, every time you breathe, of exchanging oxygen and carbon dioxide, taking one thing in and bringing one thing out. So the kingdom of God operates on a principle of exchange. The world operates on a principle of exchange, but because the world operates on a perversion of God's principle, the, 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 what we call the world's principle of exchange is buying and selling. Now, I'm not telling you it's wrong to buy things. I want you to understand because that's the commerce that our world operates on. But the kingdom of God doesn't operate on buying and selling. You can't go to God with your credit card and buy healing from Him. You can't say, all right, I need, you know, I, I, you know I, I've got the flu. I need to go to work tomorrow. What's this going to cost to get a healing so I can... And yet that is exactly what so many of us do. We bring over to God who has provided a blessing for us the thinking of the world. 
But we don't reach in and take our credit card out. We get into the Word of God and we learn His principles of meditating on the Word, speaking the Word, confessing the Word, asking God, and we, lo- we learn those principles and then we take them over to Him and we try to spend them. The subtle attitude is, but God, I, I did all that I was supposed to do. I paid everything that I thought it cost me to get it. And nothing happened. Because you can't buy anything from God. You, you find what I'm saying? Because this, this method of thinking is so ingrained on us that I've, what I do is going to determine what I can get in the sense of I'm earning it by what I do. And so we bring that into the, into the Word of God. We bring that into our walk with God. And we try to do the same thing with God that we, that, that we do with, you know, stop and shop. That's what we think we've done. We've stopped with God and we're shopping. Very subtle attitude. But the kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. Are you seeing this? Okay, all right. At least some of you are. Well, you'll get it. All right. Now, notice here. The first thing is the man sows the seed. We just looked in Matthew 7. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, first of all, you do for someone else. What does the farmer want? He wants a crop. Let's suppose it's wheat. He looks at his field. He wants wheat. He can't go gather wheat in and then sow the seed. I'll bring the, God, I'll, bring the, I'll give you the seed out of the wheat but you first of all give me the wheat. It doesn't work that way, does it? In order to get the wheat, you've got you've to do something first. You've got to take the seed and you've got to sow it in the ground. And if you'll sow it in the ground and then leave it alone. He went to bed at night. In other words, he basically kept his normal routine. Went to bed at night, got up in the morning, and while he was going through his regular work pattern, the seed sprouted and grew. And he didn't know how. Isn't that amazing? He just did what it says to do. He followed the instructions on the seed package, whatever it was, that says, farmer, take the seed, dig a hole, put it in the ground, water it, and leave it alone, and it'll grow. He just did what the instruction manual said to do. Well, we're going to look in God's instruction manual. Notice who acts first. The sower sows the seed. By the way, God operates on this principle, of course, because in the parable of the sower, it's God that sowed the seed first. And we'll talk a little more about that later on. So he sows the seed... He doesn't understand how, but he goes through his normal routine, which means he's not digging it up, checking on it. Now, my mother was a horticulturist. She could grow anything, and she knew the Latin names for them. Anita's father was, she didn't, she didn't, he didn't know the Latin names, but he, was, he could grow anything. They both had green thumbs. We did not inherit their green thumbs. I call mine a black thumb. I can kill anything. (laughs) With the best of intentions. We're working on something now to see if we can reverse that curse. (laughs) But but I I forgot what my point was. (laughs) Let me go back up to where I was. (laughs) Oh, yes, okay. This much I know, that if you plant a seed and you don't see anything right away and you decide you want to check on it, so you dig it up, that's not a good thing to do. Because what you've just done is stop the process. Because in order for that seed to grow, it has to be left in the environment 
that's necessary to germinate that seed. But the main thing I want you to see here is Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this process of sowing a seed, not understanding how it works, because that means you've got to trust where you've put the seed. Turn with me to John chapter 12. And we're going to bring this out of the dirt in the ground. And we're going to bring it down to where we live. Now what's interesting here is this comes out of, this is Jesus' last hours. This comes out of a situation where some men have come to Philip and they've asked him that they want to see Jesus. So Jesus tells Andrew and they bring him to Jesus and Jesus' answer doesn't respond, seem to respond to that at all. Verse 24, Most assuredly I say unto you, in other words, I always tell you the truth, but I'm really telling you the truth now. Unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. Oh, there's so much in that. Just the word unless. Just the word unless. Unless means there's an incredible potential here, but somebody's got to do something. Unless means that the only way what's going to follow happens is if somebody does something. The potential for all that seed can produce will never come about unless. Unless. I wonder what the unlesses are in your life or my life. I wonder what the potential that God has sown into you. His Word His spirit, revelation, knowledge, understanding that He's given you as you read the Word and as you pray, those are seeds sown in you and sown in me. I'm learning to be much more conscious and sensitive to little bits of understanding and little insights I get and not just say, oh, that was nice and realize, no, that's God showing me something. God. We were, when we were on vacation, there was a mo- time when I, I would go out and walk in the morning and pray. I love to do that and just talk to God and walk. And I was walking one morning and just you know, really kind of enjoying the warmth and, the, and the, His presence. And, just, and the Lord just spoke some little subtle things to me about us. Not our relationship, but about each other, where we were and some things that, that we were carrying around that we didn't need to carry around. And I came back and I said, I, God's just spoke something to me. And it hit me. God. God. The creator of the universe who owns everything, knows everything, doesn't live in time. So he sees Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob right now. He sees all that now. He sees everyone that's ever lived or ever will live right now. And this morning even though we weren't home. He knew where we were. And God said something to me about our lives. Wow! We ought to marvel that that happens. Wow! It will develop your relationship with Him. Wow! God! That's neat. You just, you spoke to me. Wow. I don't remember what you said, but you spoke to me. Oh, that's the second problem. 
Because what happens is if we hear him saying something, I didn't hear it with words, I just, I knew in here, it wasn't something, it wasn't something that had come through my mind, it was I saw something in here. And then your mind understands it and figures it out and just, you know, applies it. But if you don't then begin to act on that, it will begin to fade away. And the next time God wants to show you something, it becomes a little more difficult to realize that God's showing you something. But if you will take it and reverence it, I don't mean you worship it, but I'm God, talk to me. I, and then you say, no, if God talked to me, I need to listen. Because he's not just, you know, telling me jokes. He's showing me something that will free me from something that I've been carrying around. I need to value what he's saying enough to begin to apply it and do it with his help. Those are seeds. Oh, that's, yeah. Those are seeds that if we let him plant the seed in us, but then we don't do anything with it, it just sits there. It just sits there. And it doesn't produce what God intended it for it to produce in your life unless. Unless. Unless you take the seed and do something with that seed, it remains a seed. Now, in that seed is everything that's needed to produce life except the condition that's needed to germinate it. Not only in that seed is everything that's needed to produce life, but the life that's in that seed is capable of producing hundreds and thousands of other seeds down the road, which are then capable of producing hundreds and thousands and millions of seeds down the road, but none of those will be produced unless... See, one of the wrong attitudes we have about God it usually goes in one of two extremes. On one extreme, we have Christians that believe, well, whatever happens, God's brought into my life and let happen in my life. So, you know, it's kesara, sarah, whatever, you know, kismet is fate, is, you know, it's another name for it, basically. You know, and, and God gives me the ability to go through it, but whatever happens, it happens. On the other hand, you've got people over here, their extreme is everything I do determines what's going to happen in my life. And God's just kind of, kind of, you know, he started this process, but it's all in my lap to do something. And neither of those are correct. They're both extremes. There's a part God has to play, and there's a part we have to play. In this case, our part is unless. Unless. God sows the seed in us. God deposits his word, his understanding, his revelation. Ever been reading along in your Bible something you've read before and say, wow, I see that now. Where do you think that came from? You just suddenly got brilliant or was it a second cup of coffee you just had? Or it's because your wife was in on her knees just interceding for you? I mean, that may have been true. No, it's because the God, the Spirit of God in you got a hold of you and shined His light on that and said gave you understanding. This is what that means. This is what 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about. It says, you weren't saved by wisdom, but once you're saved, there is a wisdom that God gives to the mature. And what it is, is that's where you've heard me quote that verse in chapter, verse 9. Eye is not seen, ear is not hear, nor is it entered the hearts of men. All that God has prepared, prepared, all that God has prepared for those who love Him, but they're revealed to us by the Spirit. But what do we do with it when God reveals it to us? Do we just say, oh, that was nice, I now see that. And then by our first coffee break, we don't remember what it was. Or do we recognize, God showed me something. Maybe I need to know that. Maybe it's not for me, maybe it's going to be for someone else. But we begin to recognize it as, why God spoke something to me for a reason. Not fear. 
and just thank him. God, thank you. Wow. I never saw that before. Wow, that you would show. So you begin to value and treasure the seed. And then you plant it. You do something with it. You meditate on it. Because you put the seed in the ground, but you've got to water it. And if you water the seed, and you put the seed in the ground, and you water the seed, what happens is that moisture and that soil and the nutrition and the darkness, the lack of light, something goes on in there, and that life begins to get released in there and begins to start forcing its way out, and it has to break that outer shell. There's a name for that shell, I forgot. But it breaks that outer shell, and now it begins to come forth. That shell, that hardness, could not hold back that life once that life was triggered by having been sown in the ground and watered and left alone. Unless we do that, all that life, all that potential is still inside that hard shell encrusted little tiny thing that looks like it has no value or meaning. You can't look at that. You look at that and unless you understand this process, you don't see a field full of corn. You don't see a field full of wheat. You don't see beautiful tulips or roses. You don't see all that. You just look at this and say, what, uh, well, what value is that? You may think of yourself that way. So what can I do? <laughs> I mean, I'm not educated. I'm shy. I don't have boldness. I could never do what you do. I can't do this stuff. You know, you, you, you know, and you just look at yourself. But what we're going to learn is to look at everything as a seed. Whatever you have is a seed. See, I want you to forget about money for a while. Whatever you have is a seed. Your time... In fact, some of you, what you think are your weaknesses is a seed. How can my weakness be a seed? Because someone else has that same weakness. And when you're willing to give in spite of that weakness, you'll encourage others that they can do what they've seen God do through your weakness. I'm going to say something that shocked many of you. Some of you have heard me say this before. I'm a shy person. I am. My normal personality is not to stand in front of people. It would be to sit back at the end of the back there. But I knew with what God gave me to do, the gifting that God had given me, I can't do it from sitting in the back of a classroom. The only place I can do it is from standing up in front and exercising, allowing him to exercise the gift that he sowed into me. God's put gifts in every one of you. They're seeds. And we look at them as, yeah, but what's that? What's that compared to this beautiful field of roses that I see everybody else's life is like? Where do you think the roses came from? Somebody took the seed and sowed the seed. Unless, unless, God's done everything else but put the seed in our hand. That's the partnership with God. God gives you gifts, abilities, opportunities, and then He looks to you to take those gifts, abilities, and opportunities, even if it's just time. That's your unless, to sow. Now look at what He says here. Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless the grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. 
unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, and that doesn't happen by accident, it's because we purposefully sow it. It remains and it dies. It remains alone. So what does it mean it died? It dies to what it was. Because when that seed sprouts and begins to grow, you can't see the seed anymore because it gave itself up for the life that was in it. So you can't hold on to what you have and get what you want. In order to get what you want, you've got to take what you have and die to it. Let it go. To sow the seed, you've got to let it go out of your control and possession. Put it in the ground and trust someone's going to make it produce life. Now, isn't it interesting? The disciples came and said, we want to see you. And Jesus goes into this discussion. Maybe he's saying here, and I never thought of this before, because I've never had the answer to this, that you're not going to know who he is until you're willing to let go of who you are. I never saw that before. I've said, Lord, I, there's a connection here because he's answering their question. How is this con- related? And I just saw this right now, hot off the press. We want to see Jesus. You know, there are people out there that want to see Jesus. And the only one they're going to see him is if we take our life and what we have and die to ourselves. And sow what we have. And then they'll see. And then to come to Him, you've got to let go of what you have in order to see Him. Because you can't see Him and you at the same time. Because if it's all about you, then it's not about Him. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right. Okay. This is so rich right what we're going through I'm seeing things in my spirit now that are so so rich and they're you know my, my notes I want to go somewhere but this is so so rich we're going to have to begin to, to bring this part of it to a close but we'll probably be back here next week unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground unless it's sown it, and dies it remains alone We'll just focus on this point, unless, unless. There are many of us out there that are trying to do the part of the seed. We're trying to produce a result. We're trying to produce a crop. We're trying to produce fruit in our lives. We're trying to produce changes in our family. We're trying to produce all these results on our own understanding. And what we're doing is we're using the world's principles to try to do it. So if it doesn't seem to be working, I've got to find out, listen carefully, what I'm doing wrong so I can do what's right to get the results. I need to pray more. I need to fast more. Now, those are good things to do, but they don't get anything from God. Oh, prayer will receive things from God, but the fact that you prayed doesn't get things from God. See, God's not sitting there with a clipboard saying, let's see, for a new job, this is what I require. I require at least 50 hours of prayer. You're pushing maybe 20. So we got a deficit there of 30. Uh, I require at least a, a day a week of fasting. <laughs> I'm looking at that one. 
You've got to start doing things for your neighbors. Well, that's pretty okay. So you know, here's your report card. You're, you know, you're about 45% there. But see, that's the mentality of the world. Buying and selling. So we read this and say, unless this happens, as well, oh my goodness, this is what I got to do now. I got to, I got, and then we go to see what he says to do. He says, oh no, I'm not doing that. That's costs, ooh, too much. Because we're looking at what it's costing me and we're saying that's too much. Because we don't understand how the kingdom of God operates. What you have over here, whatever it is, the value of it is not what it means to you. The value of that seed is what it will do when you unless it, when you sow it. Farmer doesn't look at that seed and say, that, that big that, uh, sack of seed cost me $25 or whatever it costs. Well, it wasn't worth that. Look at this stuff. He's not thinking in terms of that. He's thinking in terms of what that seed is going to produce. But it won't produce unless he does something with it. So renewing our mind involves looking at everything in our life, not just things, everything, not in terms of what it means to me, but in terms of its potential as a seed if I'll sow it. Say, but yeah, but if I sow it, then I don't have it anymore. How am I going to eat? Well, guess who gets to eat the first ears of corn? The farmer. Guess how, I mean, nowadays, I don't know how it works, but it used to be that the farmers supplied their own family's needs through the beginning of the seed that was, of the fruit, the harvest of what was sown. This is going to require us to look at our lives in very different terms. We'll get to this down the road, but when the disciples came to Jesus with a problem, actually Jesus is the one that noticed it, we got all these thousands of people out here and there's no food and there's no place to go buy food. He says, you feed them. And they said, well, we're going to get any food. We, we can't go. There's no place to go buy food. What did Jesus say to them? Well, I guess that's too bad. You know, there's, no, there's nothing we can do about it. No, what did he say? What do you have? Because they were looking at what... And they knew what they had. They'd already taken inventory because they didn't say, oh, we'll be back in a little while when we check it out. They said, this is what we have. We've already checked it out. All we got is a little boy's lunch. But it's not enough. Because they were looking at the boy's lunch. They were looking at what they had to meet their needs. And it wasn't enough. But Jesus didn't look at what they had as the, as the harvest, he looked at what they had as the seed. And so what did he tell them to do? Bring it to me. Sow it to me. And because they unlessed it, <laughs> because they released it, and let, started with a little boy had to release it, and gave it to him, he multiplied it and satisfied everyone's need to the fullest. And they ended up with 12 baskets. Explain to me how you get 12 baskets out of one boy's lunch. You can't understand it. And he sows it in the ground he goes to bed, he gets up, and he doesn't understand how it works. The, 
disciples couldn't figure it out. Jesus didn't figure it out. He just said, do it. Unless a grain of wheat, whatever that may be of your life, falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if you will sow it, it will produce a harvest beyond anything you can imagine. And this is what we're going to begin to settle down into and understand from God's perspective.